parents and educators. Frustrated with traditional education? I was. My name is Michelle Person and I am a master educator with over 20 years of experience in the field. Rewoke, Rewriting Our Kids Education podcast is an opportunity for me to share what I have learned with you. Join me each week as we discuss a different aspect of education and find ways to make learning engaging and culturally relevant for our kids. Rewoke is available on all popular podcast platforms. Peace, y'all. What is going on? Are y'all ready for this new episode? Are you ready for that dope content? Well, in this episode, I am going to talk about moving past gestures and plaques and awards and rhetoric about representation mattering in the books that our children in particular, as well as adults are getting. So you stay tuned because I'm diving deep with this one, y'all. All right, peace. Peace, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Real Reading Talk. I am your most gracious host, Miss Sasha. And with Real Reading Talk, I discuss the real systemic issues that are at the very core, the very foundation as to why there are low levels of literacy in the black community and the ways in which we can combat these issues together. I welcome you. And if this is your first time listening, I hope that you gain much benefit. I hope that you are engaged and I hope that you make sure you share as well. And for my old heads, you know, I appreciate y'all for rocking with me. My day ones, I appreciate y'all big time. So what I want to do, I'm about to get right on into it. Here we go. This episode is going to be titled Moving Past Gestures, Plaques, Awards, and Rhetoric. All right. Mm. What am I talking about, y'all? Well, I've been doing some research, some reading and all that great stuff. Okay. And I want to first start off with referencing the book that I finished reading, Why We Can't Wait by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what prompted me, it was a couple of reasons what prompted me to focus on this particular subject in this episode is there's a, a part in the book where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He talks about how he was a guest on a show called Meet the Press and he was, you know, asked by the host at that time, Roy Wilkins. And he was asked about what more does the Negro want? What more does the Negro want? And of course, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he mentioned how he really didn't have enough time to answer that question, which, you know, I know we've seen interviews, plenty of interviews like that before, right, where Black folks will be asked questions um, in a way for them to really elaborate and to break down stuff. But they'll give you the like, okay, we got 30 seconds. So what more does the Negro want? It's like, really, who, who going to be able to answer that? And so, but what I love the fact is that how Dr. Martin Luther King was talking about how this question, number one, the audacity to even ask that question, here it is. You know, this is a follow up now after they had had the march on Washington, you know, having a march on Washington. They had the march, obviously, 
uh, because of the fact of the injustices, the oppression, um, the, the torture, the total denial of black people even being human beings and all of the things that we've endured, that our ancestors had endured ever since they were taken from the shores, from their homelands in Africa. And then all of the injustices that were compounded and compounded after that, up until then, in this 2022, and we're still dealing with this crap. But back then in 1963, he was addressing that issue. And he's like, wait a minute, <laughs> what do you mean? What more do we want? And one of the things that I like what he said was that Negroes no longer are tolerant or interested in compromise. American history is replete with compromise. All right. And then he goes on to talk about giving examples of how here it is that you have this whole country, the way that George Washington and, and his croonies were fighting, you know, against, you know, resisting against the, the British crown and saying, hey, look, no taxation without representation and and fighting for their freedom. Right. All the while enslaving our ancestors, by the way, <laughs> mind you, our ancestors were enslaved during that time. But the whole point he was making, making reference, basically trying to, you know, make them be able to relate to what he's saying. He's like, hey, look, you know, here it is. You have these folks who were able to fight for their quote unquote independence. But here it is. You're going to sit up there and think that we shouldn't expect more, you know, just because we had a march. You know, you you want us to stop. You want people you want our people to stop protesting. You want our people to basically be like. Oh, okay, you know, since they were allowed to to march, that, you know, okay, the Voting Rights Act after that, you know, got passed. It's like, but the point is, is that again, we still were not uh given the restitution that we are owed, that we were owed then and still owed now. And so that's why I said I wanted to title this particular episode moving past gestures, plaques, awards, and that empty rhetoric. Because all of this is related to the topic of literacy. It brings me to another article that I read. And, and again, I have to reference these articles because it's going to uh, support what it is, you know, my, my, uh, my topic, my title, right? And so it brings me to another article that I had read where... Uh, a lady uh, had wrote, written this article talking about how, you know, at one time, and I'm not for sure that um, if a lot of our young people know this, that it was not that long ago that black folks couldn't even go to the libraries. OK, they couldn't even go to the public libraries. And remember, our ancestors, they had to still pay taxes. And so are you talking about a place like a library or are you talking about rec centers where they can go swimming, all these different things, any public facility, our tax dollars go and pay that. And here it is. Our ancestors could not even utilize a place where their tax dollars were paying. And so one of the uh, uh, references in this article that I wanted to mention is that Ronald McNair those of you who don't know about this story, but Ronald McNair in South Carolina, when he was about eight or nine years old, he had went into this Lake City Public Library. And at the time, he was not allowed to go to the library because of the fact what? Being black, right? But 
being that young, bold person, he went in there. He said he went in there to go try to check out some books. Of course, here it is. You got grown folks looking at him like he's crazy. Staring at him and, and making him just, I mean, just treating him like he's nothing, even though they weren't nothing. And he's like, I want to take out these books. And the librarian, she's looking at him like, what? I'm like, you know, you can't be in here. And he was like, I just, oh, he like, fine. I just want to take the books out. I can't sit in here and read. I want to take the books out. No, I'm going to call the police. He sat on the counter and waited for the police to come. All right. So police came and everything. And then shortly thereafter, you know, they allowed him to be able to take the books out and all of that type of stuff. But the point of the also another point to this article that the uh, the uh, author was writing was that. Even after all of that. OK. And this is 25 years after the death of Ronald McNair, because Ronald McNair, he was one of the ones who had died. It was uh, the spaceship Challenger. They had uh, they were going, um, you know, into space. And uh, and basically he was one of the crew members who had died. All right. You know, what's in that just as a sidebar. I didn't know that it was. I, well, I say this. I don't remember hearing too much about him when I was growing up. They mainly focused on I remember the one lady her name was Christy McAuliffe. All right. And I believe she was a teacher. Now, I remember learning about her, which is very interesting. I don't remember learning about Ronald McNair. I didn't learn about Ronald McNair for real, for real, until I got grown. And then I had read that book by uh, Don Tate. He illustrated the book. I forgot who wrote the book, but Don Tate illustrated the book and basically talking about uh, Ronald McNair and, and the whole you know story that I just told you all about. So, again, it just goes to show you how the narrative, once again, you know, when you got folks who are in control and they want to make it seem as though what that black folks didn't do anything. Then you want you're not going to know about what our black ancestors have done. That was a bold move that Ronald McNair had did being an eight or nine year old boy. He said, no, I'm about to go in here and I'm challenging this system. So, but to bring back again to the point that I was making with the article in terms of linking to my topic, moving past gestures, monuments, awards, plaques, and empty rhetoric, the uh, person had made a good point. They were like, yeah, they, you know, 25 years after the death, you know, Ronald McNair, they had a museum preserving his life. Okay. Um, and it was opened inside of the South Carolina library where he once was, where he once was refused access two as a child. But then they brought up a great point. They said they wonder how much of the stories, how many books in that library are representing the majority black population in which a third of them live in poverty. How many of those books in that library represent that particular community? And see, those are the things that we got to understand. And that's what I'm linking again, moving past the gestures. We got to we got to get past the whole. Oh, yes. You know, we yes. Black lives matter. We got the signs. You got the nonprofits that are being developed. Oh, yes. Diversity and inclusion. Oh, yes, we got a nonprofit in which we're going to make sure we put hands in the books of those those low income urban city kids. 
We're going to make sure that they get books in their hands and all of that type of stuff, right? Y'all know we hear all of that. But then you go and look inside and you like, okay, wait a minute. How many books really for real, for real are representing our communities? And then another caveat to this too, how many books are being, making sure that are in the hands of our black community that are by black authors? How many of these books are being curated, making sure that black people are able to voice which books they want in these libraries? Because that is very important. Which brings me to another article that I read, right? Another article where this lady, the title of this article was making sure that we get the right books and not just the white books. And this goes into even when you have a lot of times when you'll get uh, white folks who are the ones who are getting these lists, compiling these lists, because, you know, you have to have people, especially when you, a lot of when you have books that are getting in the libraries or books in the schools, you have people who are curating. You have people who are saying they are the ones who are calling the shots. Basically, they are the ones who are like, hey, look, these are the type of books that we're going to get here in these uh, libraries. And just like I talked about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and I revere him and I respect him. But again, when you're talking about white facing, you're talking about the white social structure and talking about how they want us to remember Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. What do they always want us to focus on? Come on, y'all. Let's say it together. I have a dream that one day we in a night. And y'all know I respect and love our brother, Dr. Martin Luther King. But damn it, we ain't going to keep saying that that's the only thing he talked about. All right. We ain't going to keep doing that. Or Rosa Parks, her feet was tied, you know, and then she sat down and she just said, "Ooh, I just I so tired, Lord, I ain't about to get up. And, you know, and they just don't they they that's what they want. And, you know, and then, of course, the books that talk about how, yes, you know, our people got spat on, beat up at the, you know, Edmund Pettus Bridge and, you know, and they got beat down and hosed down and bit by the dogs. They all of that. Those are the kinds of narratives that they want for our children and especially because they know our children are impressionable. They know our children are going to, you know, they're, they're at a stage where they're still growing, right? So you're putting in all of this information. They're like, oh, wow. Oh, my God. You know, so remember you all. Remember, Negroes, we're going to get these books to remind you, please don't ever fight back. Don't ever do that. Zero tolerance. That's what that is why they make sure that they get those kinds of books in the schools or in those local public libraries. See, they're not going to make sure they're not going to put books in those libraries that talk about the Haitian Revolution. They're not going to put books in those schools that talk about Nat Turner from the perspective of that black person who's done that research and understanding that Nat Turner had a right to have an uprising rebellion. They're not going to have books talking about the Stono Rebe- Rebellion or Gabriel Prosser or David Walker's Appeal. You know, they're not going to, or, or Nani from the Maroons. They're not going to have them kind of stories on purpose because see what that's going to do. They understand that's going to rise up in that child that's going to make that child say wait a minute wait 
our ancestors didn't always get their behinds kicked. They fought back even when somebody was trying to do something to them. Oh, okay. And also, too, even with explaining it, why our ancestors were fighting back, talking about in detail the horrors of slavery. I was just talking to my children because I've been reading um, from the book, uh, this book about Nat Turner. And I was showing them that image, that famous image a lot of a lot of us have seen where you got the ships showing how our ancestors were packed together. And it looks like sardines. Our ancestors looking like they were in a can of sardines and they were like 16 uh, inches uh, apart from each other. All right. And I'm showing my children that, and they like and this is my 12 year old and my 10 year old. And they're looking like. You know, man, and I'm homeschooling them. And so and they they just look and they're like, you know, they just like you just see it in their face. And they're like, you know, that stuff is just horrible. But these are the things in which our children need to read about. These are the things our children need to see. That's why I understand why Emma Till's mother, Mamie Till. She said, oh, no, 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 <laughs> uh-uh. Have the casket open, okay? Have it open so all y'all can see what these damn devils did to my baby. What? You ain't about to sit up there and get away, yeah? We ain't about to close this up and act like, okay. No, no, open this up. And as painful as it was for her, she still was about a purpose. You understand? And that's why, again, we got to move past gestures and monuments, awards, plaques, and empty rhetoric. We can no longer keep taking that whole, uh, you know, somebody's telling us that representation matters, diversity and inclusion. And then again, when they talk about diverse, diversity and inclusion, they don't want to focus on specifically what black people need, the redress, the restitution, the reparations that black people need specifically. They like to lump everybody else up in there. And this is no disrespect to anybody else who has who's been oppressed. But damn it, we got to make sure that we're like, hey, look, you know, we are the ones who need that redress specifically. Just like the Jews got their specific redress. Right. When it came to what? When the Nazis did that horrible thing that they did and had, you know, the the Jewish uh, community and the things that they had suffered during the Holocaust. That's horrible. But I'm, st- I'm still trying to figure out how come America had to, you know, they were a part of giving them reparations. I still don't understand that to this day. But then here it is. You have black folks. We in particular need reparations, not just for slavery. Peonage system, Jim Crow, segregation, discrimination, oppression. I mean, it was a trip. I remember uh, listening to that book on audio. Uh, the, the color of, I think it's called the color of money. Um, and it's talking about the black banks, talking about the banks that our black ancestors had started. These are banks that they put their, their money together and started, but was tripped out about, do you know what, with the banks that they had put up, do you know that when they were, you know, thinking they're having banks that was going to be specifically, you know, for the black community, that money that they were putting in there. That money was taken out from those majors, other banks 
they were using that money to go fund those other banks, other banks meaning banks that it was catered to white people so that they can have utilized our money so they can have loans, so they can get their homes or cars or businesses. But we couldn't do that. We couldn't do that. I mean, so I'm just saying, you know, all of this stuff being calculated, this is compounded time and time over and over again. And that's why, again, we got to move past gestures, monuments, awards, plaques, and empty rhetoric. Dr. Martin Luther King talked about that again in 63. This is 2022, and we're still talking about that same thing. And so, again, like I, like I talked about, all of this, again, is related to literacy. And so now what I wanted to do is just give four things that we can actually do right now. All right. To deal with this issue of us uh, moving past this empty rhetoric, moving past somebody like how they did for Ronald McNair. Oh, we have we have this beautiful museum and you can see where here's the counter where he sat on and the, the police took him off the counter. You know, this is the area where the, those races were looking at him so mean. Then you then everybody we looking like, oh, 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 my God, man, that's messed up. Oh, my God. But we're not paying attention to what's really happening. Like the lady mentioned in the in the in the article. Yeah, how many how many books though are in that library that's gonna represent black people, black culture, black experiences on a truthful level? That's gonna talk about empowering black people. How many? So here it is. Number one, this is one of the things that we can do. Making sure that even when we go to these libraries, and if there are different books that we come across, books that we that we have in our home libraries or books that we may have uh, talked about or, 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 excuse me, books that we may have heard about, making sure that we ask or demand that they get certain books put in the libraries. Like I mentioned about the Haitian Revolution, you know, books that talk about um, Nani or Nani from the Maroons, books that talk about Jean-Jacques Dessalines, books that talk about or books that are written by black authors and black illustrators books that talk about entrepreneurship all of these different things that we know that needs to be in the hands of our youth and our adults we need to make sure that we are asking or demanding that these books be put in these libraries and making sure again that we are adamant about when they do put these books in the libraries that we making sure that we are getting those books. We're checking those books out. All right. Number two. We also should focus on getting programs that connect local black authors to the students. Now, these are things that we can actually uh, demand when our children are in these schools. So when they're asking about feedback like, as a matter of fact, I got to give feedback uh, now uh, the, to the high school that my daughter is attending. And so one of the things, and you know how they usually with the feedback, they always give suggestions, right? So one of the things that I'm going to suggest is that they have programs that connect these local black authors where I'm at in my city, and you all do that in your cities as well, to the students. So that, and then also too, with these local, with these black authors, you know, asking if they could uh, give a, a particular uh, class or a workshop 
showing our youth how to write books. So they, we can see an influx of black authors. So we can see an influx of black illustrators. Because there was a recent study done by the New York Times that said 11% of the books that are written by authors are people of color. But guess what? When they say people of color, they're not just talking about black folks. So that number is actually even less when it comes to black people specifically. And we got we to gotta quit being scared of saying we want to focus on black people in particular. We got to quit. We got to get out of that. You know, because I noticed that with, with black folks, well-meaning black folks, you know, they'll be afraid to just say, well, black people, we don't want to just, just say black people. I mean, because you have a lot of people who are oppressed. You're right. But just like in them other communities that are oppressed, they're going to make sure they talk about their oppression first. You always talk about yourself first, your home first. You focus on that. Then you link up with other people who are oppressed. Then you link up and say, oh, yes, we can do that. But you got to take care of home first. So that was number two. Number three. Number three, w- let's do something where we can ask about getting a book stipend monthly, a, 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 a yeah, book stipend monthly for our black children and adults to buy books. Why not? Again, this is about redress. This is about restitution. The reason why we have a high illiteracy rate in the black community is due to our ancestors being enslaved. And of course, when we say high illiteracy, we're talking about, again, if you, you know, where where we are, we English speaking. And you have our folks who, what? They had to learn how to speak a whole nother language. Because they could, it wasn't like our people could not speak. It wasn't like our people couldn't write. It wasn't like our people couldn't read. They just couldn't read the English language, if that's who they were being colonized, or the Spanish language, if that's who they were being colonized, or the French language, if that's who they were being colonized by. So the whole reason as to why, where it starts, the foundation, the core as to why there's high levels of illiteracy in the black community, that's where it started. The denial of learning, the denial of being able to read, and just like I told you all in the beginning, Here it is, even after slavery was supposedly over, even up until even after they had the whole desegregation laws enacted. And was that 1954 and all that still in the 60s, it wasn't until 1964, the Voting Rights Act. And then they decided, you know, and I'm saying, oh, yeah, black people, you all can be able to, you know, you all can go to the libraries and stuff now. It's like, really? You do all of that denial. And so, of course, again, when somebody denies you something, you're going to be what? Farther and farther and farther and farther um, behind. It's going to be harder for you to catch up. So, yes, I recommend, you know, that could be something that, you know, even on a local level, you know, when it comes to, you know, uh, when it comes to voting. You know, we want to talk about, you know, how voting matters and talking about how we need to make sure we're voting. We need to start thinking about things in which, you know what, let's start asking for these particular things in the community that we know 
that we need. And that's why I propose something like that, getting a book stipend, getting money monthly so that we can be able to buy books, the books that we choose so that we can start building up our libraries in our homes. And then the last thing is that what we need to focus on making sure that we're doing is supporting black owned bookstores on a regular basis. That's something that I noticed that I wanted to make sure that I was doing this time because we have a nonprofit organization called ABC Read. I founded in 2014 and I'm the executive director of. And one of the things that we uh, do is that we make sure that we get books in the hands of our black and underserved communities. And what I started doing as of recently, I started making sure that I was ordering from black owned bookstores. Because, again, that's very important because, see, we got black people across this country who are doing the work. But unfortunately, if you got pockets of black people doing stuff and then if they're not really getting that massive support, then that's when you have a lot of our bookstores. Like even if you do, if you wind up ordering from them, you may notice that you're going to pay a little bit more. Right. You know, because they don't have that mass you know, distribution. They don't have that mass marketing that Amazon has. It's so easy to be go, you know, click on Amazon, Amazon.com. All right, let me type in these books, you know, which I, I still do. But again, when you're about being intentional about attacking an issue, then you start thinking about, okay, how can I like really, really get to the nitty nitty gritty? And so that's when I start saying, oh, you know what? Let me start going to these black owned bookstores and also making sure that we are supporting these Black-owned publishing companies. So when our children or adults, when you all want to write books, go seek out them black, uh, Black-owned publishing companies. Third World Press. All right, that's one that just came off the top of my head. Shout out to Dr. Greg Carr because he definitely has taught me that. I learned that from him. You talk about somebody who got ooh, oodles of oodles of books. His brother's swimming in books. All right, I digress. But I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? That's you know, where my thinking has, you know, transformed. Because they, these are things in which we got to make sure we're paying attention to. All right. When you want to attack an issue, you got to think about it on all sides, all fronts. How can I get this? You know what I'm saying? How can I really, really get to the point to where, you know, we are uh, eradicating this high level of illiteracy in the black community. And so it's more than just getting books in their hands. And that's why with our organization, ABC Read, we don't just focus on, I mean, we can easily be like, you know what? Yeah, we just going to grab any type of books. You know what I'm saying? Here y'all go. Here y'all go. Take, uh, take a whole bunch of pictures. See, we gave away 200,000 books. See, we gave away, you know what I'm saying? 5 million books. Yeah, we could do that. Cause then you got a whole bunch of people who like to throw away books, right? They like, oh, I'm done reading that book. All right, here y'all go. Oh, okay. Y'all no, no, no. We intentional. Our, our mission is to not only just get books, we say new or gently used on purpose. Because if, if the book looking too worn and stuff, we good. And we specifically say books that represent black people, black culture, black experiences here in America and across the globe. Primarily, that does not mean we do not give out books from other cultures, because, yes, you have to learn about other people's cultures. And then as you start learning, you start realizing how we all are interconnected. So you got to learn. Dr. John Henri Clark, he just said that I've been watching that documentary, The Great and Mighty Walk, that uh, Wesley Snipes 
had put together. Just heard about it the other day on again on the Dr. Greg Carr uh, um, uh, platform when he was uh, talking about it. Um, but anyway, he basically said that one of the things that he learned, he learned it from Arturo Schomburg, which that famous library that is uh, in New York, where a lot of people who do research when it comes to black people, they go to this particular library like you got to go there. You know what I'm saying? That's the library that that black scholars and authors, they talk about going. But Arturo uh, Schomburg told Dr. John Henri Clark, he said, you want to learn about black people? He said, go read as much as you can about white people and European history. He said, that's when you'll begin to learn about what happened to our people. I was like, so when I heard, I was like, whoo. So my point I'm making again, yes, I'm definitely talking about getting books on our history, but we also got to remember, we got to read books about European history, Asian history, Indian history, all of that, Native American, all of that. And then we'll begin to see, though, again, how all of it is connected. Okay, because remember, with white supremacy, the whole point of domination and oppression, the main thing that dominates how, how people get oppressed is through separation. So when people make you feel like you isolated and you ain't got no connection to nobody, then that's when they oppress you. That's when somebody can make you, you know, feel like, oh, my God, man, I don't have no history. I don't have no connection. And it's like, no, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. So with all of that being said, I hope again that you all gained plenty of benefit from this episode. And I hope that you all share this episode as well. And I hope that these tips um, were uh, tips that that were practical because I try to give things that are practical, things that I know that we can actually go ahead and do, not something that's, you know, way out of our reach. Right. You know what I'm saying? We want to be able to do things in which we can actually do right now. We can implement. We may be able to implement just one at a time. That's fine. But I believe that with these steps, us doing this collectively, that this is a way for us to be able to get back into that mindset, that African mindset of literacy being something that is highly valued. We come from a literate society, y'all. and We got to assume our rightful positions. All right, so you all have been listening to another episode of Real Reading Talk. Again, I'm your host, Miss Sasha. And with Real Reading Talk, I discuss the real systemic issues that are at the very core, the very foundation as to why there are low levels of literacy in the black community and the ways in which we can combat these issues together. All right, you all take care. Make sure that you're reading for at least 30 minutes a day. Peace. Hey, everyone. I hope that you all enjoyed that episode. I hope that you all gained much benefit. Just wanted to remind you to make sure that you are subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing. This episode is going to be on the Google Podcasts. Of course, this Anchor platform that I recorded on. Also Spotify as well. And I also wanted to uh, do a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, I am a pre-K through fourth grade reading tutor. If your child is struggling with fluency, if they're struggling with comprehension, if they're struggling with uh, just that motivation that they need to learn how to read or to want to read, 
I can help you. I've been a reading tutor for over 14 years. Please go to my website, abclearntutoring.com, and you can check out those testimonials for yourself. All right. Uh, So with that being said, just make sure that you go there and you can click on the free reading assessment if you are in need of a reading tutor for your pre-K through fourth grade student. Also, again, I mentioned in the podcast, I'm the founder and executive director of ABC Read. Our mission is to develop and nurture a culture of literacy in black and underserved communities. And we do that by giving away books that represent black people, culture experiences, new or gently used. If you would love to donate, please go to our website, abcread.org. Check out the work we've been doing. We've given away over 2,600 books as of to date. And we give we have read aloud events as well. We give away healthy foods and healthy snacks. So if you give donations, those donations go to those things that I just mentioned. So we appreciate you big time. And last but not least, I want to tell you all again, I said in the episode, the book that I've been reading, well, that I finished reading, actually, Why We Can't Wait by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I hope that you all are getting your reading in. And I would love to leave you all with this quote. Until the lion begins to speak or write, every story will glorify the hunter. All right, you all take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of Real Reading Talk. I'm your host, Miss Sasha. Peace.